The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. What I'm noticing is there are a couple of things that are key to getting the best results out of something like ChatGPT, so a chat-based AI tool. One of the results, one of the um, things to remember is you need to feed in what you want it to be. You want to give it a role within the first sentence. And in the case of content marketing, you probably want to tell it you are an expert content marketer or you are an expert copywriter. Either of those will get you pretty good writing results. If you don't say that, guess what? It writes like a robot (laughs) because it's a robot. So if you don't tell it to be something else, it will just be what it is, which is a robot. So the writing will come out very robotic. It will be basically unusable. So you have to start with telling it how you want it to behave. So you think that if I told it and said, I'm a 14th century Renaissance poet, write me a a love poem, sonnet, it would write in that? I dare you to try it. (laughs) It it is amazing. I mean, one of the first times I used ChatGPT, I said, um, you are Dr. Seuss. And I want you to write, my sister was visiting. And I said, I want you to write a poem about how I've had a great visit with my sister. And now she's leaving. All right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited. We got another live show today from Nashville. Pamela's down in Nashville, originally from New Jersey, near me. But uh, we're going to have a really good discussion about marketing and AI and um, all the things that you can do as a business owner. Uh, just to mention, we do have a new uh, sponsor, affiliate sponsor coming on, uh, the, the Summit Host, which is a uh, website and uh, um, a woman who's going to be on the show soon, who a... Um, what does she do? She makes, uh, she creates virtual summits for people. So you could run your business and learn how to do that. And she's got a free book and all kinds of great stuff. So be listening for, for that. If you are listening on your favorite podcast directory, please leave us a five-star review. And if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and like us so we can continue to bring the kind of content, great content that we have. So let's get on with uh, today's show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hey, it's Pamela Wilson, and I started out more than 30 years ago as a graphic designer and marketer with a T-square and an X-Acto blade in my hands. Marketing was something the average person could not do. 
I saw my career change 180 degrees with the introduction of Mac computers for design work, and then it turned another 180 degrees with the introduction of the internet. And this year, it turned yet another 180 degrees with the introduction of AI tools for the marketing world. Marketing has fundamentally changed in the time that I've been doing it. It's been blown wide open and it's available to anyone and everyone needs to understand the basics. I can't wait to share what I know with you. All right, Pamela. So welcome to the show. Uh, Podmatch, right? Is that how we connected was through Podmatch? That's a great website. Yes, it is. It's super effective and I'm glad it worked. Yeah, no, I get a lot of guests through, through Podmatch. I don't know if they're doing something right. So I mentioned that you're in Nashville, which is great. And I, m- one of my places, my wife and I are like, we got to go to Nashville. I don't know. Everybody thinks they ought to go there. So we'll, that's not really a com- topic of conversation, but it's always good to have. And that's one of the advantages of these, you know, video chats is to connect with people all over the country, all over the world and things like that. So maybe, cause I know we're going to have a really good conversation about digital marketing, what's accessible to the small business owner, AI, and how you see it being used and things like that. But maybe we can spend a little time talking about your background and your history and, you know, things like that and how you got into what you're doing now. I started out as a graphic designer. So I was doing marketing, but I was kind of on the visual side of, of marketing. And I got to tell you, Mitch, I am totally dating myself, but I started out with a T-square and a, an X-Acto knife. This is how I was doing my design work. It was all right. manual when I first started yeah, out. Publishing in those days, right? it didn't even exist. When I first started the first few years, it didn't exist. So very shortly after I started the Mac computer with design programs was kind of introduced. The Mac computer came out and then they started to put design programs on it that could actually do some of the work that we were doing. So that was the first change. It really flipped my career on its head. It went from being this very manual process to something you did at a keyboard and on a screen, which was a huge change and right. a, a change that really empowered others who didn't have design training or marketing training to be able yeah. to do some of that themselves. It's very accessible, right? Sure. Yeah. And then the next change really happened when the internet came online, right? Because when I started out, it was fax machines and telephone calls and in-person meetings. But then once the internet was a way that we could run our businesses, that again was a huge change because it opened up my my horizons and allowed me to work with people wherever they were, which was amazing. Right, uh, right. And, and now really in the past year, the introduction of AI tools and the impact of those tools on how we can market our businesses I think that's the third change. So it's a lot of a lot of spins around the clock and a lot of changes, but it, it's been so exciting. And I may have mentioned when you and I met that I have a very low tolerance for boredom. <laughs> and so I've, I've been doing marketing my entire career and I have never been bored. It's always right. changing. So I guess when you started in graphic design, you were like more of an artist. I was right? more, like yes. Stuff like that, right? More it's of an artist. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, the books that I wrote, I wrote these books about content marketing and the angle of these books is how people can use content marketing if they don't think of themselves as writers. So that was my story. I came into using written content online without really having, I didn't have an English major. I had never worked as a writer. I'd never been paid as a writer, but somehow I wanted to be able to write and put it online. And I discovered this structure for writing content that really works. And when you right. understand the structure and use it, you can create content that's super effective. So that's the whole premise of my books is I'm not a writer, but here's how you can become a writer and, and post things online that actually generate revenue for your business. Right. Well, writing for the internet, right? Writing content that gets seen and heard is different than being a writer. I mean, I know people that are copywriters and they know the algorithm or how to do things to get noticed. But if you're just an English major and you're a good creative writer and you can write good stories, it does not mean that somebody's going to see your blog post. That's right? very true. That's a really good point. There's It's a different structure. And there's um, one of the things you have to be concerned about with online writing is hooking people from the very beginning, hooking them from the headline 
to the first sentence of your content and then just keeping that engagement all the way down the page. And I think you're right. Creative writers don't have that that pressure on them to keep people hooked and glued to the page. We have to be very aware that we're competing in this super distracting environment and with people who literally have one hand on the mouse and they're ready to click away to something else, right? Right. So uh, we're kind of marketing to squirrels, right? Squirrel, squirrel. (laughs) So we have to be aware of that in our writing and, and just keep people engaged throughout. Yeah, and that's why TikTok and all these things work, right? Because they're very short and you can flip through everything and you can see things and then something catches your eye and then you watch it a little bit and then you flip it again. And I mean, it's just nuts. The I, amount of content I, I love that example. That's a great example because when you think about it also, any any kind of short format video is engaging so many of our senses. It, right. It's audio, it's video, so it's visual and auditory. And then oftentimes they do overlay text. So you're engaging yeah. on all these different levels. You're watching it, you're hearing it, you're reading it. It's it's super engaging in a way that um, not a lot of other online content can do. Yeah, no, it's and it's kind of like subliminally satisfying, you know, because you're totally. like right to the point. You're hearing what it is, you know, you're not, no build up and you know stuff like that. So yeah, so we'll we'll talk more about that. So. So you start, I believe though, you said you started kind of as a fractional, like you, you had your own business and you had clients and you were working for them for a while, right? For Yeah. So I'll give you, it's, it, I, it's not super interesting to talk about my, my career, honestly, but I'll give you the quick synopsis. So people understand my background. I did start out as a graphic designer. I didn't do any kind of writing. I did the visual part of marketing um, help to market businesses. But if they needed any kind of writing, I would bring in a writer and to do that work like a copywriter. But then in 2010, I started an online business. So I was serving online business owners who wanted to build an online presence. And that was when I started understanding content marketing and started learning how to do it myself. That was when I wrote my books that were, um, that was the early days of social media, right? Facebook's only a couple old at that point. Yes. Right? 2010 was early, you know, pretty early days of blogging and early days with social media and short video yeah. formats didn't even exist back then. So right. I, I wrote the books in that environment. And then starting toward the end of 2022, I had right. started consulting on the side and I, I began really pivoting and focusing more on consulting, marketing, consulting, And I started in a fractional CMO position with dental claim support at the beginning of 2023. So fractional chief marketing officer. But I discovered in about two weeks that it really was not a fractional role. It was actually a full-time role. So I, I, yeah, there's a lot to do in a department to run. So I worked in that role as a fractional CMO until June when my agreement ran out. And then I came on board as an employee. So I've now gone from being a 30 plus year entrepreneur to being an employee, which is the most shocking thing of uh, that has happened this year outside of like chat GPT. And you build and run and change and their marketing strategy, all their stuff, content, everything. Yes. So you have a department of people or you got to do this yourself? No, I definitely have a department of people and contractors. So it's it's funny, Mitch, because even though I'm not heading up my own business in the same way, I very much feel like I'm heading up the department and it feels very entrepreneurial. You know, you're doing the same kinds of marketing experiments. You're tracking your results. You're managing people, leading a team. So it it doesn't feel that different than what I was doing when I was doing all of that in my own business. Yeah. Well, I think that's what larger companies are trying to do, right? They want to create these departments where people feel more entrepreneurial and they're more creative and they have more, you know, ownership to what they're doing. And because I can imagine, and I'm curious, so do you have a lot of younger people that work for you? And I wonder, do they, do they get it? Or, I mean, do they come out of school and and they're working and they're like, oh, they totally get this because it's the world in which they've been living for most of their life or not really? It's so interesting. So I have a couple of younger people on the team and then I have other people who are closer to my age and some people who are in between. So it's a little mix of everything. And what I find with the younger people is, yes, they they get some things that are just native to them, which is great. But they're also sort of foundational concepts from 
the marketing world that have been evergreen throughout my career, no matter what media was being used to, right. to use that um, approach. It, they're kind it's of foundational, strategy. right? Exactly. Um, some of those things they have not learned because they're, they're just young. They're starting out in their career. So there's been a really beautiful interchange of ideas between what feels native to them and what I know actually works and we kind of mix those things together and make it work. So it's been it's been a really fascinating experience. And one of the reasons I was like, all right, let's I'm going to do this full time. I'm not going to take on other clients. I want to devote myself to this customer and this business because um, they're growing quickly. They're very ambitious. They are leading their industry and they want to really skyrocket up. So I'm excited to help them get there. So the company you're with, you said, is called, it's a dental company? It's So it's Dental Claim Support. And what they do, uh, okay. it's, it's really interesting stuff. They provide what's called revenue cycle management for dental offices and dental groups, right? Um, and that is basically the entire financial transaction from the moment that you present your insurance card at your dental office front desk to the moment that the insurance company gets billed and the patient gets billed for any balance, they just take care of all of that and take it off the plate of the dentist. So right, but you're handling you're basically the biller claims management, everything, you know, the whole appealing denied claims, right, okay. um, verifying insurance, so credentialing, right. credentialing new doctors. So basically, Okay. One of the pain points in that industry is that dentists do not go to dent. They don't go to business school. They go to dental school, but they don't. They don't have an MBA. They don't have the doctors. They're right. they're doctors and they're great doctors. And they have um, in Nashville, people say they have a heart for service, but they truly do. They have a heart to serve their patients. That's the whole reason they got into dentistry. And right. what happens is they get out of school, they open a practice, and they discover immediately what, that what they're actually running is a business. Yeah, of course. And and in like a difficult business because they're not paid for their work up front. <laughs> they have to bill oh. it to an insurance company and hope that insurance company pays. They have to hope that they submit all the codes exactly right, and the insurance companies purposely make it tricky to get right. Does industry work on CPT codes like the medical industry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they have their own set of codes that are, of course, constantly okay. changing, right? Yeah, so totally. one of the things that we do, probably the most important thing that we do is we're just experts at it. That's all we do. We do it all day long. And so on dentists day. can basically say, just, just like, take care of this. We just take care of the whole thing. And um, we get amazing ROI for our patients. So it's it's like super satisfying to market the service because we're, we're genuinely helping dentists who are then genuinely helping the people they serve. So, but your company is really B2B. I mean, the, the dental is, off practices of dentists are your clients. We Exactly. Customers. It's definitely B2B. Yeah. Yeah. You're not helping patients with any no, issues. No, we're, we're helping dentists, dentists, dental, dental practice owners and dental, in some cases, dental groups. Um, uh -huh. We That's see right. that a lot that. of consolidation yeah. in the industry where, you know, five practices join together and form a group. Um, so yeah. we can go in and help the whole group with all of their financial, the aspects of the financial running of that group. Yeah, I worked with a group in California. They were doing roll-ups, and they were buying, mm -hmm. you know, a dental practice with two offices, three offices, and they were rolling That's them up. That's a huge and, trend in the industry you know, right now. Of course. They're doing it in the veterinary industry, too, because they mm -hmm. went through it in the medical business. And now they're like, oh, well, if we get some, you know, economies of scale here, we can make some money. Exactly. Better than, the, like you said, better than the medical professionals who don't have business training. Exactly. You know? yeah. 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 It yeah. just frees them up to focus on what they, what they really got into it to do, right? Which was to practice their skills and serve patients. And they yeah. don't have to deal with all that stuff that makes their lives miserable and keeps them up at night. Right. Well, that's what it is, right? They're like, I thought I'd just get to work with patients. Why do I have to do all this stuff? But right. I guess the choice is you go to work for somebody, right? If you right. So you guys work all over the country? You work with dentists we work throughout the country? All over the country. Yes. And we have remote team members all over the country. So what we do is we assign a team member to an office. 
So they have this remote person who's just taking care of all their billing. They get to know them on a first name basis. They can call them anytime with questions. And that person becomes like an expert on their practice. They really, they're, they are their person, right? So they're kind of on call to help them. It's, it's a pretty cool model. Now, I know you didn't move to Nashville for this job because that was a while ago. So is the headquarters in Nashville? No, they're actually based in Savannah, but dispersed all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're remote. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so um, why don't we talk a little, well, first let's talk about the kind of things you do for your company, you know, the strategies you use, the things you're doing, because I know you wanted to get into AI, and we'll talk more about it in the second half, but you're, I know you're using, taking certain approaches with the business itself, right? Because of what's going on. So maybe you can share some of those things. Yeah, I would love to share that. So I mentioned these two books that I wrote, they were published in 2016 and 2018. And they're all about they're content marketing. Sorry. On are they on Amazon? They like are. I, we're on video, so I'll, I'll grab them yeah. um, and show them to you. So Matt, the new versions are coming out in October. This is the first one, Master Content Marketing. And okay. that's the follow-up, Master Content Strategy. Uh, and they'll look, they'll look pretty much the same with the second versions that are coming out. But I had no intention to do a second edition of those books because the concepts were very evergreen. The, the way to create and assemble content and then the strategy for using content hasn't yeah. really changed that much. But I'll tell you what, when AI hit uh, like in November of last year and I started experimenting with it, I was like, um, <laughs> I went back to my editor and said, listen, are you available <laughs> to work on a second edition of my my books for 2023? Because I can't in good conscience, leave them out there in the world the way they are without talking about AI. It's way too important. Right. So right, right, it's right. been a really interesting experiment throughout this whole year to figure out how I could recommend that people use AI and then also using it with the marketing team that I'm managing and getting us all up to speed with how to use it ethically, how to get it to produce information that is accurate Right. Uh, fast right. and and uh, usable, right? And we've yeah. developed this process and it works beautifully. It works really well. So I'd love to share more about that because it's really something that the average person can do. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So what is what what does AI do for the average business owner? Is he, is he using it to blog? Is he using it to post? Is he using it to, I don't know, you tell me. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's interesting. We talked about not being a writer, uh, and not feeling confident with your writing skills, right? Even if you have an English major or a creative right. writing uh, major. So I think that's super common, right? That people don't feel confident writing and posting it on the internet. And it's very, you know, anything we post is very public, right? Uh, even, sure. Whether it's a Facebook post or a blog post, whatever it is, it's very public and it's very out there and it can feel super intimidating if you don't do it yeah. every day, right? So I think one of the best ways to use AI is to give you confidence in your writing skills. They, now, when we say artificial intelligence, that's a very broad category these days because there's right. artificial intelligence for video and for images and and then right. for writing and, you know, for summarizing meetings and <laughs> so many different yeah. things, right? I think in 2023, I feel like every 10 minutes, there's a new piece of software, right? Yeah, I that go can- on these Zoom calls now and there's like these chat bots that show up. So I have a meeting on Wednesdays and a lot of times one of the guys doesn't come, but I guess it's connected to his calendar. Yes. And it pops in every, and it's an attorney group. So the attorneys yeah. are all nervous. You know, I'm like, what is that going on? I don't want my thing recorded. And he's not even there. And the thing goes yep. and records the meeting. Google you know, Google so. is actually incorporating that into their meeting product where you can actually tell Google I'm not going to be in this meeting and it will send you a summary of what was said. That's that's coming. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of mind blowing. And it's um I mean, without getting into all the privacy and ethical things, because I think we're all trying to figure that out. But um have they did they just have a huge um conference in con in Washington like yesterday or two days ago with all the yeah leaders of the tech industry were about AI and regulation yeah. and everything. Yeah. 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 And that's going to be an ongoing thing, honestly. And um, 
I prefer to let the bureaucrats figure out however they want to manage it. But in the meantime, what I really wanted to do was to figure out a way to to use the existing tools. My the my favorite tool is one of the simplest, so I can share that with you. But um, to just use the existing tools and then like our human knowledge and put the two together in a way that you can create something that's usable. Yeah, what I, I don't think it. Could- articles for you. I think it can get you started. Exactly. And give you a framework, yes. At least now. At this yeah, point. exactly. Yeah. But you do have to check for inaccuracies because there was a story. I don't know. You probably know the story. There was two attorneys that did a I, brief. I heard about and that. And they didn't check anything. And there were cases that were wrong. Yeah. It didn't even exist. Yeah. And they got admonished. I think they got suspended for a while. So. Yeah. 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 You definitely have to fact check. And those kinds of stories yeah. are good reminders. I mean, it's it's also a good reminder that we're all beginners with this technology. So we are going to mess up like that, you know? Um, and yeah. I feel bad for the attorneys, but honestly, they, it, it was a service to humanity to yeah, have that sure. story come out because it, I think it made us all realize like, Oh yeah, we need to, we can't just take it straight out of the, the right. chat bot. Right. Yeah. Right. Just cause it's computer based doesn't mean it's going to be accurate. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so, what's I think a part of what's difficult is that it's it sounds very authoritative when it answers. You yeah, ask it a question, it sounds well. it sounds yeah. like an expert. It can make itself yeah. sound like an expert. So yeah, yeah it's a little yeah, daunting. Very, yeah. So it, you think it's right, and you're like, because I I've actually used ChatGPT to write uh, like a an operating agreement or a business contract or something like that. Some of them look like my work. Like I'm like you know really well-written stuff. Now, of course, clients that are looking at it have no idea what they're looking at, why clauses are included and what it should say and doesn't apply in your state and things like that. But I don't know. I mean, if, if I was a business owner, I need an operating agreement. I go there and I say, I need an operating agreement for my partner. Boom. It would type it out for you. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little, a little frightening. So yeah. what, what, what are you the easiest, your favorite tool that well, you want to mention? Well, it's ChatGPT. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Mitch, I I went to all these different content creation tools, just kind of researching because I wanted to find the best tool for my team. Yeah. And I plugged in the corporate credit card for a bunch of different tools and signed up for paid trials and all of this. And I did not find a tool that worked as well as ChatGPT when it's used in conjunction with somebody who knows what they're doing. Right. So that's the caveat. It's it's not just chat GPT by itself. It's it's feeding it information in a specific way and then having a process for what you're going to do with the output. That's really the trick. But ChatGPT is just words, right? I mean, it doesn't deal it's with it. It's just images. words right now. It it does have some plugins that are starting to allow you to do other things, but it it for now it's just words. Yeah. I think that uh the, all this AI stuff is going to do to the, you know, the content creator, what happened with desktop publishing. Like I had friends in high school and middle school whose fathers and mothers were in publishing mm-hmm. and were driven out of printing mm-hmm. and were driven out of business because yeah. they didn't need to do it anymore, yeah. you know, for a lot of the small business. And now there's so many small business owners, they almost, you know, print their own stuff unless they really need it professionally printed. So yeah. I, I see... I don't know what your thought is about it, but that's what I see happening with AI. It's kind of, you know, lowering the bar, making it easier for people to, to do these kind of things where they don't have to get a copywriter in a lot of cases. And, you know, and, and you don't need the most advanced person to do things. Right. So it kind of brings that down too. Right. I don't know if you thought about it because you it, saw it happening. In the, that's yes. The it's the, that's a perfect analogy. And as a matter of fact, I had an uncle who worked in your area of New Jersey um, for a print shop, it was uh-huh. it was a pre press shop. So their biggest client was CBS Records. So CBS Records would send an album cover. <laughs> they would send the album cover art to this pre press shop, and the pre press shop would do all of the films and everything, you know, the plates and do everything that had to be prepared before the album went on press. Well, digital came along and none of that pre-press stuff was needed because you could go straight right. from the computer to the press, basically. So, yeah, um, yeah I watched my That's uncle's. Example, right, because vinyl has now come back. I know. I my high school funny? was like, Dad, did you hear about this? They have these things called vinyl. <laughs> I was like, well, you mean like record albums? Yeah, you're a little bit behind, you know? And now it's like 
I, and I think there are companies that went out of business that would have thrived now, but yes. they've already gone out of business. You know? I know. Well, yeah. and that but, makes it more scarce and more valuable and all of that. But right. um, yeah, exactly. so I those are all the changes I've seen in my career that new technologies come along. And yes, some people lose the ability to do what they were doing. But if they're smart, they figure out a way to adapt to whatever the change is and, and move into that, right? Um, right. I, I definitely saw it with desktop publishing and you know all of these big technology changes have brought that. So um, what I noticed with AI, do you want me to get into how we're, we're using it now or do you want to yeah. do it later? could do it now and then we'll take a break and then we can talk about things you know like market digital marketing 101 and what people need to go so why don't you do that and then we'll take a break okay awesome so um what i'm noticing is there are a couple of things that are key to getting the best results out of something like chat gpt so a chat based ai tool one of the results of one of the um things to remember is you need to feed in what you want it to be you want to give it a role within the first sentence and in the case of content marketing, you probably want to tell it you are an expert content marketer or you are an expert copywriter. Either of those will get you pretty good writing results. If you oh, don't say that, guess what? It writes like a robot <laughs> because it's a robot. So if you don't tell it to be something else, it will just be what it is, which is a robot. So the writing will come out very robotic. It will be basically unusable. So you have to start with telling it how you want it to behave. So you think that if I told it and said, I'm a 14th century Renaissance poet, write me a, a love poem, sonnet, it would write in that? I dare you oh. to try it. <laughs> it, yeah. it is amazing. I mean, one of the first times I used ChatGPT, I said, um, you are Dr. Seuss. And I want you to write, a, my sister was visiting and I said, I want you yeah. to write a poem about how I've had a great visit with my sister and now she's leaving. And it wrote me this poem in the style of Dr. Like Seuss. Of and I read it out to her and she was. And it's very, you know, Dr. Seuss is very specific, noticeable the way he writes. Style, yes. Yeah, style, right? That's what I think. So it was just, it seemed like a Dr. Seuss book? It was It was a poem written like Dr. Seuss had, had come to life and right. written the poem. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't yeah. perfect. It wasn't, you know, not everything was great about it, but it was, it was astonishing. It was astonishing. Right, right, so. right, right. Yeah. So start with a yeah. role for sure. Start with a role because if you don't want it to sound like a robot, tell it what you want it to sound like. Give it okay. as much detail as you can about the goal for what you want it to write, how you're planning to use it and the audience who you want to appeal to feed those things in and then ask it the magic question. And there, this is the magic question that makes such a difference in the results you get. You right. need to, before you finish hitting return on the prompt, you need to say, please ask me any clarifying questions you need answers to so that you can do this task. And when you do that, it will come back yeah. with a list of questions. Sometimes there are three, sometimes there are five, sometimes there are seven, but they'll be numbered. Uh, yeah. Question number one, and it asks you like really good questions, right? Good questions that a copywriter would probably be asking you. So then you're going to answer those questions? Yes. So you're going to answer those questions. And the great thing is that this, it slows you down, but I'm telling you the results are remarkable when you do this. What you can do is just write your answers after numbers. So you don't have to repeat the question and rewrite it. You just say number one. Right. And then the answer, number two, and the answer. So it, it takes only a few minutes to fill this in. But you answer all the questions, and then it'll come back and say, thank you for those answers. That's very helpful. And then it spits out this content that's not terrible, right? Yeah. Now, I tell people it is a draft zero. Right. It's not it even a first draft, because a first draft is written by a human, in my opinion. It's a draft zero. Yeah. It's right. something that a human can take and improve on. Right. I like that draft zero. Yeah, it's true. But that's people. 
But the, the problem is that people rely on technology and then they think, oh, that's great. And they take it and they use it. And they don't realize that it's just a, it's not even a starting point. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good starting sure. point. It's sure. a decent starting point. I, I The other thing I do is I, I you know, I call it like an over-caffeinated intern. <laughs> so imagine you have an intern working in your office. They've had way too many espressos and they're trying to do the work. They do it super fast. It's right. not always accurate. And it's not always good, right? But it's fast. It's for sure fast. So, you yeah. know, it gives you something to work with. I do not recommend ever that you take something straight from the tool and copy paste it and use it. Right. No. First, firstly, because it's probably it probably needs massaging in some way and you need to slow down and really look at it and see where it needs help, right? Right. You need to make sure it's accurate. You need to make sure it's not hallucinating and inventing stuff that's just not true. It does. Right? To, for listeners, it invents things. It totally does. And it's like yeah. we said earlier, it sounds very authoritative. It sounds like it knows what it's talking about. So you yeah. need to slow down and, and take that step. But the other reason you need to do that is that right now, as we speak, tools are being developed that will detect AI-generated content. I mean, there are some out there now that are pretty good at it, right? So you have to take whatever it gives you and imbue it with human emotion, actual facts, subject right. matter expertise that only you have, stories that you know that the AI tool doesn't know because they are your own human stories. All yeah. of those things add humanity to the output that if you start with what it gives you and then add that layer of humanity and that polish that only a person can give it, you end up with something that is really good and at a speed that you would not be able to do it. Um, of course, if you were doing it all from scratch. Now, how, um, how did you, was it trial and error that you learned these techniques that work in terms of, you know, asking it questions and putting it, it in a certain light in terms of being an expert and things like that. You just yeah. tried and it so yeah. it's a combination. It's a de I've definitely been paying attention to everyone who's been experimenting out there with me and looking to see what people are doing and what's working and then trying yeah. it myself. Um, yeah. In the early days of ChatGPT, I saw a lot of people sharing these super long involved prompts. And I have nothing against those. That's great. But um you know, it, it's a lot to remember, right? And I'm all about just keeping things simple. So I was trying to figure out a way that worked that would also yeah. be easy to remember. So that combination of role, goal, and then tell me what else you need to know is it's it's easy enough to remember and it worked consistently well for me. Good. Well, we got to put that in the show notes. Roll, goal, and ask me what you need to know. Exactly. That's all, all right. Yeah. Why don't we take a commercial break, and then we'll come back. We'll start talking about more. We'll come off the AI train a little bit, and we'll talk more about digital marketing for the small business owner, what's accessible, what they can be doing these days for little or no money type Love of thing. Love it. That'll be fun. All right? Okay. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one -on -one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. 
One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Okay. So we are back. I wrote that down. Roll, goal, and questions about additional information. If mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to play with that. And I'm definitely going to do the thing about being a 14th century Renaissance bard. And <laughs> I want you to share those results. I can't wait to see it. I definitely will. Okay. So we could go on for, you know, for a long time about AI, but let's talk about, you know, digital marketing and, you know, the, maybe some of the strategies you use in your business, but also some of the things from your book that the small business owner can use because I've, you know, I have a lot of marketing people on the show and I, I do it for a reason. They're not all entrepreneurs. A lot of them are, and you have been, it's more though about, you know, the entrepreneur out there. And a lot of these people are like, you know, they kind of dabble in digital marketing, which includes social media and blogging and all that email marketing, all that stuff, but they don't really do it from a strategic, you know, ongoing regular basis. And that's how you get results, right? Consistency and keeping things out there. So maybe you, I'll let leave you to tell us more. Yeah, that's, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting in these last, let's say 15 years is I think you know, calling it digital marketing is great. I think we are very close to just calling it marketing though. It's just, it's just how marketing is done, right? Marketing earlier in my career, a lot of it happened on paper (laughs) and on television screens or over the radio. And now so much of it happens in a digital environment because that's where all of us are spending our time, the majority of our time. So it's, I really think we're very close to just being able to call it marketing, but I totally understand what you mean when you say digital marketing. Yeah. But I think even you're right. Even if it's something printed, usually there's a QR code or something to draw you online. Drive you there. Yes. And that's, that's probably the place to start. So, well, the very first place to start really in all marketing, and this has not changed in my career is that you really have to start by understanding who your customer is and cue the eye roll because this is where people start to roll their eyes like, oh yeah, don't tell me about my customer avatar or my ideal customer. Right, exactly. But but I I I hold the torch too. People think they know what their their customer is and they they don't. They're wrong or it it could be what they want it to be and they don't, they do. They roll their eyes. You know what? I'm going to send you a link. I actually have one of the most... um, one of the most popular downloads on my website is I created this ideal customer profile worksheet that you can work through and uh, lots of people download that. So I, I can put that out there in case people are interested, but it, yeah, if we it, could put a link in the show notes after the show, yeah, people can get it. You know, that would be good. It's so important because honestly, if you don't, if you're not really creating all this marketing to go after the right customer, it's kind of like setting off on for a destination, but like not really knowing where it is or something and just starting yeah. to drive. You just start to drive and you hope you get there. But, yeah. that, you know, if you really no want to get there and reach those people, you have to know who they are. Right. Okay. And then the other thing I would say is, um, be, like you said about the QR codes that are driving back to a website, it's really important to think about your website as being the home base for your business online. So yeah. a digital presence on social is great. Uh, you know, your thriving TikTok channel is awesome. It's great to do all those things on all the social platforms, but it's super important to have a rock solid home base on the internet, which is your website, because right. that's the only platform you actually control. You don't own, I don't think you own TikTok. I know I don't. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, neither of us owns Facebook or LinkedIn or any of those platforms. We can put content on them. We can rent space on them by adding our content to them. But at any moment, 
our accounts can get pulled. I mean, we all know people sure. whose accounts have got have gotten pulled, and maybe they built built up a huge following on those platforms, right. or even they even control who sees what you're posting. Exactly you're the algorithms. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important to have some kind of a home base that you continue to put out there. You just let people know, this is my website, this is my website, you can find me at this URL. And and you just keep putting that out there so that if for some reason your account gets pulled or you're, you lose that audience, they know where to find you online. And then when it right. comes to your website, you just have to have those basic pages. It, it doesn't have to be super daunting. You need to have a homepage. You probably need to have some kind of about page that helps people understand who is behind the business. People are right. curious. They always want to know that. And about pages yeah. tend to be some of the most visited pages online on a website. So you probably want to have some kind of about page. And then you want to have some kind of contact page. If someone wants to work with you, they want to know more about what you do, you got to give them a way to reach out to you. Right. Those are the three basics. Those are the three basics. And then I would say once you have those nailed down, it's really great to have some kind of content page. So either a blog that you contribute to, a series of podcast episodes that you post on there, a video series that you post on there, or a combination of all of those, you can definitely do that too. Some kind right. of content page allows people to learn a little bit more about your business what's important to you, how you help your customers, the kinds of challenges that you solve and things like that. And then the no, last no. one is probably a commerce. I call it a commerce page, but it's either okay. it's either a services page that talks about your business to business services or it's a store page where people can buy products, some kind of commerce. So home about contact, then content right. and commerce, some kind of commerce page. Yeah, that makes sense. And and like you said, it, it may differ if you're B2B versus B2C, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I always find that sharing information is always a good thing. Like, you know, I, I, I've had this argument with other legal professionals. They're like, well, why would I put that up there? Well, then they don't need us. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Like people aren't going to stop using your legal services because something right. you're posting online. They're going to yeah. appreciate that you're sharing information, right. educating them a little bit. And then when they need real help, they right. go, well, you know, Mitch was the guy who was teaching us all this stuff. Let's go back to him. He's obviously the expert. It gives exactly. you Exactly. And it's you know, not just that, that, Mitch. It's also because I, I think, you know, in the legal field, especially when we engage a lawyer, when any of us engage a lawyer, that's going to be an ongoing relationship. It's not usually a one-off thing that's done in two weeks, right? It, normally, right. it's it's an ongoing thing. If they're helping with an ongoing situation or you have them on retainer for your business, you're going to be in right. a lot of contact with that person. You're going to be interacting a lot. And having content on a website helps you to feel like you know that person just a little bit. Right. And yeah. you could, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to engage that person because I, I like their writing voice. I like their point of view. I like how they see the world. And that's somebody I want to work with long term. So it's a way to sort of low key advertise your business without actually advertising your business. Yeah. I, I find that on websites where people don't like in the about us section, they don't really, and they don't have to tell their personal story, but they don't have, you know, photos of their team. They don't, it, it, it just doesn't give that kind of like, Oh, now I see who I'm working with type yeah. of thing. This is what their background is or where they're from. Or, you know, if it's just about the company and not about the people behind the company, we, we know companies don't operate themselves. So, Although some companies would like to think that, but it's not true. So, right? There's people. You take the people away and there's no companies. So I always find that that's like a missing element, I think, in a lot of, you know, small, we're talking small business owners, obviously, you know, but even large companies should have their, you know, their principal people. And what are you hiding from? You know, it's, you know that's how I feel about it. Well, and the other thing that I always tell people is the about page actually should be at least a part of it should be about who you serve, which is yep. a... That's a real 180 right there. But you want people to get to the about page and kind of see themselves on that page. So you can say something like, this website is about the people that we serve who are these people, you know, and describe right. them. And then right. people realize like, oh, I'm in the right place. This business actually serves people just like me, right? And then you start talking about the business and how you serve them who you are, all of that. But if you lead with them, that ends up being a super powerful about page. 
Sure. And then it's kind of like a weed check too, right? Because if you have your ideal client profile and you list these, the kinds of people that we work with, then they might, you know, they say, well, maybe, you know, I'm not right for their business. So you don't get the people calling that you're really not looking to work with. You can avoid the tire kickers. Yes. That's a really smart way to avoid the tire kickers and just focus on, you know, be super clear about who your ideal customer is and be public about it. Don't just make it a wish that you keep to yourself. Be public about it and put it on your about page. Right. Yeah. What's the point of having a profile like that if you don't actually put it out there to try and work with the people that you want to work with? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about social media because I'm not sure that every, and I'm not sure how you use it for the business now that you're with, um, but I'm not sure that every business owner really knows what they're doing either or like why they're doing this, how they're using it and if they're using it effectively because so many different ways to use Facebook and use LinkedIn and yes. use, you know, all these types of stuff. So I was wondering your thoughts about that. Yeah. And every platform wants you to think it's the platform you have to be the on. Right so yeah. I would say the first thing to keep in mind is you probably want to just really focus on one platform. If you get to the point that you have a process for posting consistently on that platform and it's going well, and then you decide to expand to another platform, go for it. But Pick one and pick it based on where you think that ideal customer is hanging out. So for example, the business that I'm working with right now, they their primary platform is LinkedIn because that's where that B2B audience is hanging out. So we are posting almost exclusively on LinkedIn and then just taking some of the content from LinkedIn and recycling it on other platforms, but we're sort of LinkedIn first. And that's what I would recommend is if you know people are hanging out, if your people are on Instagram, start with Instagram. If your people are, if they are all TikTok viewers, start with TikTok, but just focus on getting one platform right. I think part of the issue with social media is people believe that they have to be everywhere. And so they spread themselves way too thin and they don't end up doing any of it very well. It's sort of subpar. Yeah. But people tell me, you know, I posted uh, on LinkedIn and it didn't do anything. I'm like, how many times yeah. did you post? Well, I posted like one time last month, yeah. three times. Yeah. yeah that's not going to do it. Yeah. Now, how, yeah. how do you measure in, at least in your business, how do you measure whether what you're doing is effective on social media? On, let's say LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, there are different. So a very superficial measurement is engagement, right? Um, I have tried and I've never been able to deposit engagement in my business banking account. <laughs> it's right. not, it doesn't actually translate into funds, yeah, right? Nice followers, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work, but it is, it's a superficial way of saying, okay, this post topic got more engagement. So you can kind of say, well, on this platform and with the people I'm connected with on this platform, this post topic seems to do well. So that, you know, I'm not saying to ignore engagement, it does matter, but it's definitely not the whole thing. What I'm always looking for is conversions. So people who reach out to the business and try to take the next step, that's what I'm mostly looking at is just overall, are conversions increasing to the business? One of the ways that you can measure that is by, this is a super geeky marketing thing, but you can measure using UTM links that attribute the click to a certain platform. So you can use a link that says, that tells you this link came from LinkedIn, for example. Um, And that can be very helpful just to sort of see, okay, are my efforts actually paying off on this platform? Got it. So those, those links are like in the old days when you used to use specific 800 numbers per ad. Exactly. That's exactly what they are. The other thing that is, how do you, they go through another site and they redirect to your site. So, yes. So, but however, I say that, and at the same time, we should probably talk about this as well. So we are very quickly um, moving into a world where that kind of attribution is going to become very challenging. And it's because of all the privacy measures that are getting put into place now um, by all the tech companies. And, you know, the European Union has really dialed in their privacy measures. And so a lot of the tech companies are having to respond to that by changing their products. And so in the marketing world, what we're hearing a lot about right now is we're entering a cookie-less world which doesn't mean that there won't be cookies for Cookie Monster. It means that we will not be able to track 
where people are coming from as well as we could before because of the privacy measures. Yeah. Pop-ups. Do you accept our cookies? You go, yes. And then they follow you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and browsers, you know, people are setting up their browsers so they can't be tracked and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's a reality. And the way we respond to that is to think more about kind of brand marketing and getting the word out, kind of like back in the old days where we would do things that right. were harder to track, but they helped to elevate our brand and help people to recognize our brand when they saw it out in the wild. So yeah. it's, you know, I think social media is always going to be a mix of tracking, but also just trying to get engagement and trying to spread the word about your business. So in the future, you think it's going to be harder for like a, a downtown or a retailer to know who came to your store, where they came from, you know, cause now with geo tagging and I mean, they can tell like how many people came to this town during their street fair and what towns they came yeah. from. So I think it's going to yeah. be harder, not impossible, but I just don't think we're going to have as much data about that. So we may be watching trends based on a much smaller slice of people versus what we can see right now. That seems to be where things are going. Right, which is the way it used to be. I mean, used to be you. It used to, to be that way, right? So, like for example, that doesn't phase me at all. I know right. all about brand marketing. Um, you know, that kind of marketing, that measurable marketing, is typically called performance marketing, where you can get data on how your efforts are converting, and you have a lot of really good data. But that it's we're getting less and less of that data, which means we need to rely more on brand marketing, which is a perfectly valid way to market. And we did it that way for decades. So, you know, it's, it's a perfectly valid way. You just may not have as much hard data about how it's performing, but obviously you're always looking at our sales up, our sales down. Right. Right. And that's a great gauge. Yeah, exactly. You think Facebook's more of a B2C type of a platform still, Uh, you know, I don't know how, I I know it's changed. I mean, Yes, I think I think in a very general way, yes, it is a little bit more B2C. It's more about the individual than reaching out to a business. Um, you can reach people who are in businesses, decision makers in some cases. It's very dependent, like everything in marketing, it's very dependent on what you're offering and who you're offering it to. But in general, I would say it's probably more B2C. Okay, and so... And I guess I'll mix the two of these together, sales and marketing. Is, is that in your company, is is it the same department? I mean, you guys are responsible for sales and marketing. No, it's definitely two different departments. So oh, um, okay. the okay. structure that we use at DCS is we are, the marketing team is getting leads into the business. And then what we're trying to do is to get them to book a call with our sales team. And the sales team then has a, a super in-depth conversation to really understand the specific challenges that the prospect is experiencing so that they can then recommend solutions that will work for them. So it's a very tailored process um, and very personal once they engage with us. So um, the the initial job that we have in marketing is just to let people know what we do, get them in the door so that we can stay in communication. We've got a ton of content on our website, years and years of content, hundreds of pieces of, uh, you know, blog posts. We have a YouTube channel. There's just a lot of really helpful content out there to, to attract people in and help them with their challenge of the moment, but to help them with a larger challenge of all the financials in their dental practice or their dental group, they need to talk to our sales team who can then get really granular about how, how we can help them. Now, are your salespeople basically closing people or do they have to go and prospect generate their own business also? I, it's a, They're basically closing people for the most part. They do a little bit of prospecting as well, but they're basically, you know, people schedule a call with them and they get on the call and, and find out what's going on with their practice and, and offer a solution. Right. But the prospecting and lead generation is really on you guys for the most yep. part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there are probably a lot of companies like that. Okay. So I guess the best way, since we're talking about it, for people to interact and find you is LinkedIn, right? Do you have your own LinkedIn profile or is it part of the company's profile? I do have my own LinkedIn profile. They can find me on LinkedIn, Pamela Wilson. Um, I also have my own website URL. So I own my name on the internet, PamelaWilson.com. 
And I'll be yeah. posting about the books on my website. So if people want to learn more about the updated versions of the books that are coming out with the, all the AI guidance, that's mm-hmm. going to be on my website homepage. Okay. Yeah. I tell a lot of people, I think that they miss out on the personal branding side of it. If you're, you know, not everyone's an author, but if you're a small business owner, if you're an employee of a company, you don't want to do this, that's fine. But if you own a small business and you have, this is the company, there's nothing wrong with also doing this is the person. Like I do that. I have MitchBeinhacker.com and I have BeinhackerLaw.com. Right. They were the podcast, the speaking, the books are on the Mitch Beinhacker site. There's the law and the legal stuff I do, and they're kind of integrated. But, you know, people want to know who you are. And I think it's that great. A- and if you can get, I'll tell you what, Pamela Wilson was not that easy to get. <laughs> the, <laughs> the more common your name, the harder it is to get. Right. But um, exactly. when I was able to so nab it, I. It's probably taken. Yeah. 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 But Pamela Wilson is not an uncommon name. I mean, it's pretty, Wilson's common, right? So I'm surprised it, you were. Yes, yes. I, I get emails for other Pamela Wilsons on a regular yeah. basis who are probably kind yeah. of annoyed with me because I have the URL, but what can you right. do? Well, you got it, right, exactly. Yeah. All right, Pamela, I can't thank you enough uh, coming on live with me. It, is it earlier in Nashville? Is it like it's a little there? earlier. Yes, it's 1030 here. We're central time. So just inside okay. the central time zone. All right. Well, stick around a little bit. Let's close out the show. And um, I can't thank you enough for you know talking to me. Today. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.